Section twenty one of the Natural History, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume four, by Pliny the Elder, translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section twenty one, Book eighteen, Chapters thirty to forty five. Chapter thirty, the leguminous plants, the bean. We now come to the history of the leguminous plants, among which the place of honor must be awarded to the bean. Indeed, some attempts have even been made to use it for bread. Bean meal is known as lomentum, and, as is the case with the meal of all leguminous plants, adds considerably, when mixed with flour, to the weight of the bread. Beans are on sale at the present day for numerous purposes, and are employed for feeding cattle, and man more particularly. They are mixed also among most nations, with wheat and panic more particularly, either whole or lightly broken. In our ancient ceremonials, too, bean pottage occupies its place in the religious services of the gods. Beans are mostly eaten together with other food, but it is generally thought that they dull the senses, and cause sleepless nights attended with dreams. Hence it is that the bean has been condemned by Pythagoras, though, according to some, the reason for this denunciation was the belief which he entertained that the souls of the dead are enclosed in the bean. It is for this reason, too, that beans are used in the funereal banquets of the parentalia. According to Varro, it is for a similar cause that Flamen abstains from eating beans, in addition to which, on the blossom of the bean, there are certain letters of ill omen to be found. There are some peculiar religious usages connected with the bean. It is the custom to bring home from the harvest a bean by way of auspice, which, from that circumstance, has the name of Raferiva. In sales by public auction, too, it is thought lucky to include a bean in the lot for sale. It is a fact, too, that the bean is the only among all the grains that fills out at the increase of the moon, however much it may have been eaten away. It can never be thoroughly boiled in seawater, or indeed any other water that is salt. The bean is the first leguminous plant that is sown, that being done before the setting of the Virgilia, in order that it may pass winter in the ground. Virgil recommends that it should be sown in spring according to the usage of the parts of Italy near the Padus. But most people prefer the bean that has been sown early to that of only three months' growth, for, in the former case, the pods as well as the stalk afford a most agreeable fodder for cattle. When in blossom, more particularly, the bean requires water. But after the blossom is passed off, it stands in need of but very little. It fertilizes the ground in which it has been sown as well as any manure. Hence it is that in the neighborhood of Thessaly, in Macedonia, as soon as it begins to blossom, they turn up the ground. The bean, too, grows wild in most countries, as in those islands of the northern ocean, for instance, which for that reason have been called by us the Fabarie. In Mauritania, also, it is found in a wild state in various parts, but so remarkably hard that it will never become soft by boiling. In Egypt there is a kind of bean which grows upon a thorny stalk, for which reason the crocodiles avoid it, being apprehensive of danger to their eyes. This stalk is four cubits in length, and its thickness at the very most that of the finger. Were it not for the absence of articulations in it, it would resemble a soft reed in appearance. The head is similar to that of a poppy, being of a rose color. The beans enclosed in this head are not above thirty in number. The leaves are large, and the fruit is bitter and odoriferous. The root, however, is highly esteemed by the natives as a food, whether eaten raw or well-boiled. It bears a strong resemblance to that of the reed. This plant grows also in Syria and Cilicia, and upon the banks of Lake Torone in Chalcidice. Chapter 31. Lentils, Peas. 
Among the leguminous plants, the lentil is sown in the month of November, and the pea among the Greeks. The lentil thrives best in a soil that is rather thin than rich, and mostly stands in need of dry weather. There are two kinds of lentil grown in Egypt, one of which is rounder and blacker than the other, which has a peculiar shape of its own. The name of this plant has been applied to various uses, and among others has given origin to our word lenticula. I find it stated in some authors that a lentil diet is productive of evenness of temper, the pea requires to be sown in a warm sunny spot, and is ill able to endure cold. Hence in Italy, and the more rigorous climates, it is sown in the spring only, a light loose soil being chosen for the purpose. CHAPTER Thirty Two: THE SEVERAL KINDS OF CHICKPEAS The chickpea is naturally salt, for which reason it is apt to scorch the ground, and should only be sown after it has been steeped a day in water. This plant presents considerable differences in reference to size, color, form, and taste. One variety resembles in shape a ram's head, from which circumstance it has received the name of arietinum. There are both the white and the black arietinum. There is also the columbine chickpea, by some known as the pea of Venus. It is white, round, and smooth, being smaller than the arietinum, and is employed in the observances of the night festivals or vigils. The chicheling vetch, too, is a diminutive kind of chickpea, unequal and angular, like the pea. The chickpea that is the sweetest in flavor is the one that bears the closest resemblance to the fitch. The pod in the black and the red kinds is more firmly closed than in the white ones. Chapter 33. The Kidney Bean. The pod of the chickpea is rounded, while in other leguminous plants it is long and broad, like the seed which it contains. In the pea again it is of a cylindrical form. In the case of the kidney bean it is usual to eat the pod together with the seed. This last may be sown in all kinds of soils indifferently between the Ides of October and the Calends of November. As soon as ever the leguminous plants begin to ripen, they ought to be plucked, for the pods will very soon open and the seed fall out, in which case it is very difficult to find. The same is the case, too, with the lupine. But before we pass on to the lupine, it will be well to make some mention of the rape. Chapter 34. The Rape the Latin writers have only treated of this plant in a cursory manner, while those of Greece have considered it a little more attentively, even though they have ranked it among the garden plants. If, however, a methodical arrangement is to be strictly observed, it should be spoken of immediately after corn or the bean at all events. For next to these two productions, there is no plant that is of more extensive use. For in the first place all animals will feed upon it as it grows, and it is far from being the least nutritious plant in the fields for various kinds of birds, when boiled in water more particularly. Cattle, too, are remarkably fond of the leaves of rape, and the stalks and leaves, when in season, are no less esteemed as a food for man than the sprouts of the cabbage. These, too, when turned yellow and left to die in the barn, are even more highly esteemed than when green. As to the rape itself, it will keep all the better if left in its mold, after which it should be dried in the open air till the next crop is nearly ripe, as a resource in case of scarcity. Next to those of the grape and corn, this is the most profitable harvest of all for the countries that lie beyond the paddis. The rape is by no means difficult to please in soil, for it will grow almost anywhere, indeed, where nothing else can be sown. It readily derives nutriment from fogs and hoar-frosts, and grows to a marvellous size. I have seen them weighing upwards of forty pounds. It is prepared for table among us in several ways, and is made to keep till the next crop, its fermentation being prevented by preserving it in mustard. It is also tinted with no less than six colours in addition to its own, and with purple even. Indeed, that which is used by us as food ought to be of no other colour. The Greeks have distinguished two principal species of rape, the male and the female, and have discovered a method of obtaining them both from the same seed. For when it is sown thick, or in hard, cloggy soil, the produce will be male. 
the smaller the seed the better it is in quality there are three kinds of rape in all the first is broad and flat the second of a spherical shape and the third to which the name of wild rape has been given throws out a long root similar in appearance to a radish with an angular rough leaf and an acrid juice which if extracted about the harvest and mixed with a woman's milk is good for cleansing the eyes and improving defective sight the colder the weather the sweeter they are and the larger it is generally thought heat makes them run to leaf the finest rape of all is that grown in the district of nursia it is valued at as much as one sesterce per pound and in times of scarcity two even that of the next best quality is produced on mount algidus chapter thirty five the turnip the turnip of amaternum which is pretty nearly of the same nature as the rape thrives equally well in a cold soil it is sown just before the calends of March, four sextari of seed to the eugerum. The more careful growers recommend that the ground should be turned five times before putting in the turnip, and four for rape, care being taken in both cases to manure it well. Rape, they say, will thrive all the better, if it is sown together with some chaff. They will have it, too, that the sower ought to be stripped, and that he should offer up a prayer while sowing, and say, I sow this for myself and for my neighbors. The proper time for sowing both kinds is the period that intervenes between the festivals of the two divinities, Neptune and Vulcan. It is said, too, and it is the result of very careful observation, that these plants will thrive wonderfully well if they are sown as many days after the festival of Neptune as the moon was old, when the first snow fell the previous winter. They are sown in spring as well, in warm and humid localities. CHAPTER Thirty Six: THE LUPINE the lupine is the next among the leguminous plants that is in extensive use, as it serves for food for man in common with the hoofed quadrupeds. To prevent it from springing out of the pod while being gathered and so lost, the best plan is to gather it immediately after a shower. Of all the seeds that are sown, there is not one of a more marvelous nature than this, or more favored by the earth. First of all, it turns every day with the sun, and shows the hour to the husbandman, even though the weather should happen to be cloudy and overcast. It blossoms, too, no less than three times and so attached it is to the earth, that it does not require to be covered with soil. Indeed, this is the only seed that does not require the earth to be turned up for sowing it. It thrives more particularly on a sandy, dry, and even gravelly soil, and requires no further care to be taken in its cultivation. To such a degree is it attached to the earth, that even though left upon a soil thickly covered with brambles, it will throw out a root amid the leaves and breaks, and so contrive to reach the ground. We have already stated that the soil of a field or vineyard is enriched by the growth of a crop of lupines. Indeed, so far it is from standing in need of manure, that the lupines will act upon it as well as the very best. It is the only seed that requires no outlay at all, so much so, in fact, that there is no necessity to carry it even to the spot where it is sown, for it may be sown the moment it is brought from the threshing-floor, and from the fact that it falls from the pot of its own accord, it stands in need of no one to scatter it. This is the very first grain sown and the last that is gathered, both operations generally taking place in the month of September. Indeed, if this is not done before winter sets in, it is liable to receive injury from the cold, and then, besides, it may even be left with impunity to lie upon the ground, in case showers should not immediately ensue and cover it in, it being quite safe from the attacks of all animals on account of its bitter taste. Still, however, it is mostly covered up in a slight furrow. Among the thicker soils, it is attached to a red earth more particularly. In order to enrich this earth, it should be turned up just after the third blossom, but where the soil is sandy after the second. Chalky and slimy soils are the only ones that it has an aversion to. Indeed, it will never come to anything when sown in them. Soaked in warm water, it is used as a food, too, for man. One modius is a sufficient meal for an ox, and it is found to impart considerable vigor to cattle. 
placed too upon the abdomen of children it acts as a remedy in certain cases it is an excellent plan to season the lupine by smoking it for when it is kept in a moist state maggots are apt to attack the germ and render it useless for reproduction if cattle have eaten it off while in leaf as a matter of necessity it should be ploughed in as soon as possible chapter thirty seven the vetch the vetch too enriches the soil and its cultivation entails no labour on the agriculturist it is sown after the ground has been but once turned up and requires neither hoeing nor manuring nothing at all indeed except harrowing there are three periods for sowing it the first is about the setting of arcturus when it is intended for feeding cattle in the month of december while in the blade this crop too is the best of all for seed for although grazed upon it will bear just as well the second crop is sown in the month of january and the last in march this last being the best crop for fodder of all the seeds this is the one that thrives best in a dry soil still however it manifests no repugnance to a shaded locality this grain if gathered when quite ripe produces a chaff superior to that of any other if sown near vines supported by trees the vetch will draw away the juices from the vines and make them languid chapter thirty eight the fitch the cultivation of the fitch too is attended with no difficulty it requires weeding however more than the vetch like it the fitch has certain medicinal properties for we find the fact still kept in remembrance by some letters of his that the late emperor augustus was cured by its agency five modi will sow as much ground as a yoke of oxen can plough in a day if sown in the month of march it is injurious they say to oxen and when sown in autumn it is apt to produce headache if however it is put in the ground at the beginning of spring it will be productive of no bad results chapter thirty nine cilicia cilicia or in other words fenugreek is sown after a light ploughing merely the furrows being no more than some four fingers in depth in the less the pains that are bestowed upon it the better it will thrive a singular fact that there should be anything that profits from neglect the kinds however that are known as secale and farrago require harrowing only chapter forty secale or asia the people of tarinum at the foot of the alps give to secale the name of asia it is a very inferior grain and is only employed to avert positive famine it is prolific but has a straw of remarkable thinness it is also black and sombre looking but weighs extremely heavy spelt is mixed with this grain to modify its bitterness and even then it is very disagreeable to the stomach it will grow upon any soil and yields a hundredfold it is employed also as a manure for enriching the land chapter forty one farrago the craca farrago a mixture made of the refuse of far or spelt is sown very thick the vetch being sometimes mingled with it in africa this mixture is sometimes made with barley all these mixtures however are only intended for cattle and the same is the case with the craca a degenerate kind of leguminous plant pigeons it is said are so remarkably fond of this grain that they will never leave the place where it has been given to them chapter forty two ossinum ervilia among the ancients there was a sort of fodder to which cato gives the name of ossinum it was employed by them to stop scouring an oxen this was a mixture of various kinds of fodder cut green before the frost came on Emilius sura however explains the term differently and says that ten modi of beans two of vetches and the same quantity of ervilia were mixed and sown in autumn on a eugerum of land he states also that it is a still better plan to mix some greek oats with it the grain of which never falls to the ground this mixture according to him was ossinum and was usually sown as a food for oxen varro informs us that it received its name on account of the celerity with which it springs up from the greek okeos quickly chapter forty three lucerne 
Lucerne is by nature an exotic to Greece, even. It having been first introduced into that country from Media, at the time of the Persian Wars, with King Darius. Still it deserves to be mentioned among the very first of these productions. So superior are its qualities that a single sowing will last more than thirty years. It resembles trefoil in appearance, but the stalk and leaves are articulated. The longer it grows in the stalk, the narrower is the leaf. Amphilochus has devoted a whole book to this subject, and the Cytosus. The ground in which it is sown, being first cleaned and cleared of stones, is turned up in the autumn, after which it is ploughed and harrowed. It is then harrowed a second and third time, at intervals of five days, after which manure is laid upon it. This seed requires either a soil that is dry but full of nutriment, or else a well-watered one. After the ground has been thus prepared, the seed is put in in the month of May, for if sown earlier, it is in danger from the frosts. It is necessary to sow the seed very thick, so that all the ground may be occupied, and no room left for weeds to shoot up in the intervals, a result which may be secured by sowing twenty modi to the eugerum. The seed must be stirred at once with the rake to prevent the sun from scorching it, and it should be covered over with earth as speedily as possible. If the soil is naturally damp or weedy, the lucerne will be overpowered, and the spot degenerate into an ordinary pasture. It is necessary, therefore, directly the crop is an inch in height, to disengage it from all weeds by hand, in preference to the weeding-hook. It is cut when it is just beginning to flower, and this is repeated as often as it throws out new blossoms, which happens mostly six times in the year, and four at the very least. Care should be taken to prevent it from running to seed, as it is much more valuable as fodder up to the third year. It should be hoed in the spring, and cleared of all other plants, and in the third year the surface should be well worked with the weeding-hook. By adopting this method the weeds will be effectually destroyed, though without detriment to the lucerne, in consequence of the depth of its roots. If the weed should happen to get ahead of it, the only remedy is to turn it up repeatedly with the plough until the roots of the weeds are thoroughly destroyed. This fodder should never be given to cattle to satiety, otherwise it may be necessary to let blood. It is best, too, when used while green. When dry it becomes tough and ligneous, and falls away at last into a thin, useless dust. As to the itisus, which also occupies the very foremost rank among the fodders, we have already spoken of it at sufficient length when describing the shrubs. It remains for us now to complete our account of all the cereals, and we shall here devote a portion of it to the diseases to which they are subject. Chapter 44. The Diseases of Grain. The Oat. The foremost feature of disease in wheat is the oat. Barley, too, will degenerate into the oat. So much so, in fact, that the oat has become an equivalent for corn. For the people of Germany are in the habit of sowing it, and make their porridge of nothing else. This degeneracy is owing more particularly to the humidity of soil and climate, and a second cause is a weakness in the seed, the result of its being retained too long in the ground before it makes its appearance above it. The same, too, will be the consequence if the seed is decayed when put in the ground. This may be known, however, the moment it makes its appearance, from which it is quite evident that the defect lies in the root. There is another form of disease, too, which closely resembles the oat, and which supervenes when the grain, already developed to its full size but not ripe, is struck by a noxious blast, before it has acquired its proper body and strength. In this case, the seed pines away in the ear, by a kind of abortion, as it were, and totally disappears. The wind is injurious to wheat and barley, at three periods of the year in particular, when they are in blossom, directly the blossom has passed off, and just as the seed is beginning to ripen. In this last case the grain wastes away, while in the two former ones it is prevented from being developed. Gleams of sunshine every now and then, from the midst of clouds, are injurious to corn. Maggots, too, breed in the roots, when the rains that follow the seed time are succeeded by a sudden heat, which encloses the humidity in the ground. Maggots make their appearance also in the grain, 
when the ear ferments through heat succeeding a fall of rain. There's a small beetle, too, known by the name of Cantharis, which eats away the blade. All these insects die, however, as soon as their nutriment fails them. Oil, pitch, and grease are prejudicial to grain, and care should be taken not to let them come in contact with the seed that is sown. Rain is only beneficial to grain while in the blade. It is injurious to wheat and barley while they are in blossom, but it is not detrimental to the leguminous plants, with the exception of the chickpea. When grain is beginning to ripen, rain is injurious, and to barley in particular. There is a white grass that grows in the fields, very similar to panic in appearance, but fatal to cattle. As to darnel, the tribulus, the thistle, and the burdock, I can consider them no more than the bramble among the maladies that attack the cereals, but rather as so many pests inflicted on the earth. Mildew, a malady resulting from the inclemency of the weather and equally attacking the vine and corn, is in no degree less injurious. It attacks corn most frequently in the localities which are exposed to dews, and in valleys which have not a thorough draft for the wind. Windy and elevated spots, on the other hand, are totally exempt from it. Another evil, again, in corn, is over-luxuriance, when it falls to the ground beneath the weight of the grain. One evil, however, to which all crops in common, the chickpea even, are exposed, is the attacks of the caterpillar, when the rain, by washing away the natural saltness of the vegetation, makes it all the more tempting for its sweetness. There is a certain plant, too, which kills the chickpea and the fitch, by twining around them. The name of it is Orobanch. In a similar manner also, wheat is attacked by darnel, barley by a long-stalked plant, called agilops, and the lentil by an axe-leafed grass, to which, from the resemblance of the leaf, the Greeks have given the name of Pelesinon. All these plants, too, kill the others by entwining around them. In the neighborhood of Philippi, there is a plant known as a teramon, which grows in a rich soil, and kills the bean after it has been exposed, while wet, to the blast of a certain wind. When it grows in a thin, light soil, this plant is called teramon. The seed of darnel is extremely minute, and is enclosed in a prickly husk. If introduced into bread, it will speedily produce vertigo. And it is said that in Asia and Greece the bath-keepers, when they want to disperse a crowd of people, throw this seed upon burning coals. The phalangium, a diminutive insect of the spider genus, breeds in the fitch, if the winter happens to be wet. Slugs, too, breed in the vetch, and sometimes a tiny snail makes its way out of the ground and eats it away in a most singular manner. These are pretty nearly all the maladies to which grain is subject. Chapter 45 the best remedies for the diseases of grain. The best remedies for these maladies, so long as the grain is in the blade, is the weeding hook, and at the moment of sowing, ashes. As to those diseases which develop themselves in the seed and about the root, with due care precautions may be effectually employed against them. It is generally supposed that if seed has been first steeped in wine, it will be less exposed to disease. Virgil recommends that beans should be drenched with nitre and a murka of olives, and he says that if this is done, they will be all the larger. Some persons, again, are of opinion that they will grow of increased size if the seed is steeped for three days before it is sown in a solution of urine and water. If the ground, too, is hoed three times, a modius of beans in the pod, they say, will yield not less than a modius of shelled beans. Other seeds, again, it is said, will be exempt from the attacks of maggots if bruised cypress leaves are mixed with them, or if they are sown just at the moon's conjunction. Many persons, for the more effectual protection of millet, recommend that a bramble-frog should be carried at night round the field before the hoeing is done, and then buried in an earthen vessel in the middle of it. If this is done, they say, neither sparrows nor worms will attack the crop. The frog, however, must be disinterred before the millet is cut, for if this is neglected, the produce will be bitter. It is pretended, too, 
that all seeds which have been touched by the shoulders of a mole are remarkably productive. Democritus recommends that all seeds before they are sown should be steeped in the juice of the herb known as isoum, which grows on tiles or shingles, and is known to us by the Latin name of sedum or digitellum. If blight prevails, or if worms are found adhering to the roots, it is a very common remedy to sprinkle the plants with pure murca of olives without salt, and then to hoe the ground. If, however, the crop should be beginning to joint, it should be stubbed at once, for fear lest the weed should gain the upper hand. I know for certain that flights of starlings and sparrows, those pests to millet and panic, are effectually driven away by means of a certain herb, the name of which is unknown to me, being buried at the four corners of the field. It is a wonderful thing to relate, but in such case not a single bird will enter it. Mice are kept away by the ashes of a weasel or a cat being steeped in water and then thrown upon the seed, or else by using the water in which the body of a weasel or a cat has been boiled. The odor, however, of these animals makes itself perceived in the bread even, for which reason it is generally thought a better plan to steep the seed in ox-gall. As for mildew, that greatest curse of all to corn, if branches of laurel are fixed in the ground, it will pass away from the field into the leaves of the laurel. Over-luxuriance in corn is repressed by the teeth of cattle, but only while it is in the blade, in which case, if departed upon ever so often, no injury to it, when in the ear will be the result. If the ear, too, is once cut off, the grain, it is well known, will assume a larger form, but will be hollow within and worthless, and if sown will come to nothing. At Babylon, however, they cut the blade twice, and then let the cattle pasture on it a third time, for otherwise it would run to nothing but leaf. Even then, however, so fertile is the soil that it yields fifty, and indeed with care, as much as a hundredfold. Nor is the cultivation of it attended with any difficulty, the only object being to let the ground be under water as long as possible, in order that the extreme richness and exuberance of the soil may be modified. The Euphrates, however, and the Tigris do not deposit a slime in the same way that the Nilus does in Egypt. Nor does the soil produce vegetation spontaneously, but still so great is the fertility that, although the seed is only trodden in with the foot, a crop springs up spontaneously the following year. So great a difference in soils as this reminds me that I ought to take this opportunity of specifying those which are the best adapted for the various kinds of grain. End of section 21